I set out at the beginning of this year to learn how to grow things. I did some research, I made a plan, I picked out my seeds and I started planting things in the dirt. I was filled with visions of flowers in specific color schemes and fruit and veg that my kids might actually eat. I committed to work on my garden every single weekend. And do you know what has surprised me the most about gardening? How much death is involved in life. When you start planning a garden, the soil looks kind of like a wasteland. Basically, everything is dead. But death doesn't stop there. When your seeds start sprouting, you have to immediately thin them. Now, as I discovered, thinning is basically a gardening term for killing. You put all this work into growing pretty little green sprouts, and then you have to take half of them out to make sure that the rest of them keep growing properly. You have to cause death to make room for life. And when your plants get to a certain stage, well, then you have to prune them. And prune, as I discovered, is just another nice gardening term for the painful process of chopping off parts of a plant that you've so lovingly taken care of. Again, it's just another nice way of saying participate in death. And those are just the gardening actions that we take intentionally. Never mind the plants that die because we forgot to water them or put them out too soon that maybe they froze to death, the ones where we didn't read the seed packet correctly, or maybe even the ones where we thought we knew better and so we just started growing them too soon. And yes, I am speaking from experience. When I started gardening, all I could think about was the end result, the glory, the joy that the fruit and the flowers was going to bring. What I didn't expect was the pain of loss, the internal wrestling that I had to go through as I tried to decide whether I was willing to submit to the process, the amount of death I had to go through to get to new life. In our passage today, we see Jesus in his final hours before his death. We get a glimpse of the suffering that Jesus went through on our behalf before he even got to the cross. Today, on Maundy Thursday, we intentionally pause to consider the weight of our sin and the depths of the suffering that Jesus went through on our behalf to accomplish life for us. We stop to remember the amount of death that Jesus went through to win new life for us. Let's read our passage from Luke chapter 22, verse, verse 39 through 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We find ourselves on the Mount of Olives, or as the gospel writer John puts it, in the garden. In this garden, we come to grips with mankind's sin, with Jesus's suffering, and with our shared call to submit to God. Since the Garden of Eden, mankind has struggled with sin and suffered its consequences. We have struggled to choose God's way over the way of temptation. In that first garden, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to eat of the fruit from the forbidden tree, tempted to question God's love in setting boundaries for their best interest, tempted to think they knew better than God. As they gave in to Satan's temptation, they made a choice that led them out of the good and the perfect garden and into a life filled with struggle, strife, and suffering. Because of that choice, they experienced death, spiritual death in their relationship with God, death in their connection with one another, death in their relationship with the garden itself, physical death as they were banished from the garden and the opportunity to eat from the tree that granted eternal life. Their sin led to death for them and the generations to come. Much like Adam and Eve failed to keep God's command in that first garden, here in this garden, we see the disciples failing to follow Jesus's command to pray that they might not enter into temptation. Yet again, in this garden, like the first, mankind fails to live up to God's standards. Yet again, mankind fails to resist temptation, choosing instead sin and its consequences. By the end of our passage, we see Jesus return to the disciples who have not been praying. Worse, they've been sleeping. Even when their leader, their friend, the one they committed to follow, no matter the cost, needs them most, they do not support Jesus. In fact, they do the total opposite. Their sin directly inflicts pain upon Jesus as they abandon him in his hour of need. The disciples' sin causes further pain and suffering. Now, their behavior illustrates to us how sin leads to death, a pattern that began in that first garden, continues in this garden, and continues in our lives even now. Like Adam and Eve and like those disciples, we too struggle with sin and our sin also leads to death. I see this in myself as I struggle with pride. I experience the consequences of my sin and other people's sin in other hard and broken relationships. As a wife and as a parent, I see daily how my own lack of obedience to Christ affects those who I love the most. 
If I take a moment to be really honest, without Christ, my life looks not much better than the wasteland of my garden at the beginning of the growing season. I'm struck that even in Jesus's final moments before the cross, he is faced head on with an example of the depths of sinful nature and its consequences. A stark reminder of humankind's need for a savior. And Jesus was willing to wade into that ugliness to come face to face with our sin. And more than that, to take its consequences upon himself. This passage reminds us of the depths of our sin, but it also reminds us of the depths of the suffering that Jesus went through. Jesus' suffering was not limited only to the moment that he died on a cross. In the garden, we see the internal agony that Jesus went through. The pain of his wrestling was so great that as he prayed, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus' prayer itself is heart-wrenching. Jesus knew what he was called to go through, and he pleads in this moment for the Father to find another way. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. How many times have we prayed that type of prayer? Father, if there's any other way, I'll take it. Father, if I can avoid this pain, take it away. Perhaps you've prayed that prayer in a moment of grief or sickness or maybe observing someone else's pain. If you've ever prayed that prayer, you know the type of agony, the desperation that goes along with it. Jesus' suffering far exceeded anything that we will ever go through. Jesus asked for the cup to be removed. This cup is Old Testament language. It's imagery that was used by the prophets to refer to suffering justly inflicted by God upon sinners as a result of their turning away from him and his ways. When Jesus uses this language here, he's referring to the impending suffering that he will endure as a result of God's wrath against sin. Jesus' suffering was great, and Jesus' suffering had purpose. It's the way that Jesus paid the price for sin and made it possible for us to have new life. Now, this should be even more obvious to us when we read this passage in its context, because this moment happens right after the Last Supper. In that supper, Jesus shared a cup that was filled with wine, symbolic of the blood that he was about to pour out for them and for us. This cup reminds us of the promise that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice and payment for sin. This cup is the new covenant in his blood which is poured out for many. The cup language here represents all of the suffering that was rightly deserved as a consequence for sin. Jesus is wrestling here with just how heavy that weight is. That's a lot of sin and a lot of suffering. I wonder how you respond to suffering. Scientists talk a lot about fight or flight. Now, my, my dad's in town this week, and earlier this week, we were looking into some of our family tree, our family heritage, and we discovered a person in our history who, at first glance, we were pretty sad to find out this story. But we discovered that this person 
according to newspaper clippings, had fallen at work, and the newspaper clippings was describing how they came home from work that day and they thought they were completely fine. But three days later, they passed away from a spinal cord injury. Now, that is, of course, really sad, but we actually ended up laughing to ourselves because this sort of behavior is so typical of our family. I mean, to not even recognize, to not even own that you were struggling and suffering in this kind of way, to just push through it, to just fight through it, to fight that suffering. There must have been a lot of pain that this guy was in, but, you know, he pretended it didn't exist. Jesus was suffering and he was about to suffer more, but his response was not to run away from his suffering or to fight it like my family would have done. Jesus's response to suffering is submission. Jesus's response is to choose to die to himself. Jesus chooses more death. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus embraces his Father's will. He trusts in God's ability to bring good out of bad, beauty out of ashes, life out of death. By dying to self and dying on a cross, Jesus paved a way for life for us. Jesus accomplished our salvation by submitting to the Father. He humbled himself, as Philippians said, by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus went through death to win new life for us. Our sin resulted in death, but his death led to new life. Thanks be to God. You might be surprised as I was with gardening to discover just how much of scripture talks about death being involved in new life. And this is not just when it comes to Jesus, it's actually relevant to us as well. Not my will, but thy will is a prayer that every believer is called to say. Every believer needs to learn submission to the Father's will. Now for us, that's going to look like dying to self and sin. I'll show you where it says that in scripture. Here's just a few examples. Luke says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. In Romans, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God through, in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. If we are to pray the same prayer as Jesus, thy will, not my will, we are going to first need to die to ourselves and die to our sin. We need to acknowledge our sin and confess our need for a savior. Recognize the wasteland of dirt that needs some work in, the, in our hearts, like my garden at the beginning of the growing season. We need to ask that Jesus is the one that comes in to turn it into something beautiful, because only he can. We need to put to death the works of sin, the desire to choose self over God, actively participating in pruning out dangerous habits and patterns of sin to make room for the fruit of the Spirit. Our souls are so desperate to get to Easter Sunday 
But to get there, we need to go through Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. We need to die before we can rise. We want to celebrate new life. We want to celebrate lives changed. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit. Then we need to die to self and to sin. We need to become alive in Christ. It's through submitting our lives to Him that we are changed from death to life. But how do we do that? How do we die to self and to sin? How do we submit? We come back full circle to our problem with sin. We are unable in our own ability to choose the right way. But here's the good news. Where we are unable, He is able. Where we would never choose death, Jesus did. We find hope in this passage, not in the way that the disciples behave. We find hope in the example and the power of Jesus. Jesus breaks the power of sin by choosing submission to the Father, even when that meant suffering on a cross. Jesus chooses death so that we might have life. Jesus is the answer to our struggle with sin. If we want to do any better than the disciples, we better look to him for help. Our passage today gives us some really practical wisdom as to how to do that, how we look to him for help. When Jesus struggled, what did he do? He turned to prayer. When Jesus advised the disciples on how to avoid temptation, what did he command? That they pray. How was Jesus able to follow through on his submission to the Father? Through the strengthening that he received while he was in prayer. We are not able on our own, but with God's help, we can. Prayer is our simple practice that helps us to access God's help so that he can be the gardener of our lives. He can be the one to plant and to prune and to cultivate. Prayer is how we acknowledge our sin and it's our weapon against temptation. Prayer is the means by which we have our hearts softened and humbled so that we can say that same prayer, thy will, not my will. This is how we thin and prune those sinful habits that get in the way of obedience to Christ. Prayer is the way we are strengthened for the call ahead. Tomorrow we will be spending most of the day in prayer. Every few hours we will release a guided prayer and reflection, walking through Jesus' final hours. And we would love to invite you to participate in that, to tune in, to participate in prayer, to use this opportunity to ask for God's help. Sin, suffering, and submission. Jesus deals with our sin by his suffering and submission. He took on the consequences and the weight of our sin. He suffered the death that we deserved. He submitted himself to the Father's will, going through death that we might have life. Likewise, we submit to him. We die to ourselves and to our sin so that we might rise with Christ. 
In a moment, we will transition to communion. And moments before our passage today, Jesus shared a meal with his friends, a meal where he spoke of the suffering that he was about to experience. He took bread and broke it like his body was about to be broken for them. He took a cup and he poured it out for them like the blood he was about to shed on their behalf and ours. He took this cup and he reminded them with it as he reminds us today as we share this meal, that the promise of God is not dependent on mankind's ability to do what he asks. It's dependent on Jesus's ability to save. This meal reminds us of how much death Jesus went through to accomplish new life for us. It's a moment to be thankful for all that Jesus went through on our behalf. It's also an opportunity to rededicate ourselves to him, to ask for his help, to die to self, to die to sin. And so as you take communion today, I want to invite you to pray in your heart, not my will, but thy will be done. All who love the Lord Jesus are welcome at this table. And we're gonna take a couple of minutes to prepare our hearts for communion. As we do that, I want to invite our service to come forward. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood is poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And now we, ministering on behalf of Jesus, offer to you this bread and this juice that they might be for you, the body and blood of Christ, and that in the partaking of them, you might find nourishment for your souls. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you submitted yourself to the suffering, the suffering for which you came. It's unthinkable to us that you left the glory of heaven, the perfection of your relationship with your Father. You made your way to this earth. You took on the form of a human being, and then you submitted to your own creation in suffering and death. And dying. And so we remember that sacrifice even now. And we pray that in the partaking of this, you will strengthen us. You will give us great resolve to say, not my will, but yours be done. Would you set aside these common elements for a holy purpose? Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who taketh away the mercies, the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God,
who taketh away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us and grant us your peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are invited to come forward to receive communion today so you can enter, exit the right-hand side of your pew and come back to the left-hand side. You're welcome to take the elements at the front or return to your seat with them. That either is fine. <laughs>